chapter 9. The book of Daniel, chapter 9. Circumstances in India have been catastrophic and they've been bracing themselves for uh, the next wave that they say is upon them. And in the pandemic, uh, I could describe in very graphic terms the crisis, but suffice it to say uh, that so many have died, even many that, that I know personally, uh, preachers that I knew in Bible college students, Myanmar, Burma, I was supposed to be there in a couple of months, and the military seized the country, and so we're not able to get into Burma at the moment either, uh, but please pray. Uh, we, we continue our, our partnership and working together, the internet platform, I received uh, good sermons in the Chen language from Myanmar just day before yesterday. So we still have that channel of communication, and I'm, I'm glad for that. But I so much appreciate your prayers. I invite you to turn with me, please, in the Word of God this evening to the book of Daniel, chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9, and if you're able, I invite you to stand together with me, please, as we focus upon this passage in Daniel chapter 9. I'll begin reading in verse number 1. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the seed of the Medes, which was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by books the number of years whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet, that he would accomplish seventy years in the desolations of Jerusalem. And I set my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And I prayed unto the Lord my God and made my confession and said, O Lord, the great and dreadful God, keeping the covenant and mercy to them that love him and to them that keep his commandments, we have sinned and have committed iniquity, and have done wickedly, and have rebelled, even by departing from thy precepts. He continues throughout the passage in an outpouring of confession and, and pleas. An angel came to him, met with him. God so sweetly blessed him. And I trust that we'll find ourselves blessed by the truths we find in this chapter. Father, 
Lord, please speak to our hearts tonight once again. Please help us to realize the hour in which we find ourselves and that day, that moment that might so soon be upon us. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you, and you may be seated. Daniel, as a young man, found himself a captive of the Babylonian Empire. The Lord had given to him incredible visions that not only manifest the character and nature of the Babylonian Empire, but in that great image which Nebuchadnezzar beheld, Daniel looked upon one empire after the other. Other visions followed. I think of Babylon who was manifest as being the lion and now the Medes and the Persians the bear rises with a roar. And I tell you simply, things were happening very quickly. They were happening fast. Darius has now ascended the throne, the son of Ahasuerus. Daniel remembered that the prophecy of God's dealing with Israel addressed 70 years of desolation, of captivity. It was the Babylonian captivity, and now the Medes and the Persians had risen to power. Obviously, the moment was at hand. And Daniel thinks to himself, things are happening fast. We're not going to be here much longer. And he starts looking through the books, crying out to God. An angel visits with him. And though Daniel at the first is focusing upon the 70 years of desolation, before the conversation is over, the angel is telling him about the 70 weeks of prophecy. Those 70 weeks, each week being seven years, 69 weeks, weeks of years, 69 such weeks, looking toward that day when Jesus Christ would not only have come, but as we read in the prophecy here, that He would be cut off for his people, for all people, that he'd be given as a sacrifice. They're remaining that 70th week. 
we find ourselves between the 69th week and the 70th week, that 70th week being those seven years of tribulation that will one day, I believe, soon follow. I'm glad we're leaving before it begins. Somebody told me they were quite convinced that the church was going to spend some time here on earth during part of the tribulation. I simply answered him by saying, I'll send you a postcard. <laughs> I understand that Daniel in his expectancy. He's thinking upon the years of captivity that are coming to the end, but before the conversation is over, the angel has directed his attention not merely to the 70 years of desolation, but to the 70 weeks of prophecy. May I say to you that as Daniel in his day thought to himself, things are happening fast. May I say to you in our day, Things are happening fast. They're happening fast. It used to be years ago that we saw hints that were reminders. Now we see headlines day after day after day. It used to be that the preacher stepped to the pulpit and he told the people of what was befalling us and now we walk into the auditorium and one believer after another will oftentimes approach us and say, did you hear? Did you hear? I just saw this is happening. Did you know? I tell you, things are happening fast. China no longer slumbers. She has seized one island after another and even made islands where there were no islands. She is threatening to take Taiwan and to nuke Japan. There's a stirring among the kings of the East. Things are happening fast. We're being reminded how quickly economies can collapse. Elon Musk, who's given us the Tesla automobile and surrounded our planet with satellites, has other outlandish, nefarious plans. He has already launched Neuralace, where he promises to be able to link man with this network, this plane of existence that surpasses the internet where man can download great stores of information directly into his mind. And if the download doesn't startle you, you ought to hear about his idea of the upload. I'm telling you, things are happening fast. We're reaching a day very soon 
where ideas of the implanted microchip and the code to go with it, the mark of the beast to follow, will not only seem like obvious solutions. My friend, they're going to package it in such a way that it'll be craved by the masses. It's happening. I remember some years ago, a gentleman sat beside me on an airplane having just returned from a consortium of infectious disease experts. And when he sat down beside me, even years ago, he said to me, he said, the average American, and he said even more than that number, does not realize the pathogens that are standing at the threshold ready to cross over, waiting for the opportunity. It seems that a lab in China not long ago gave one of those pathogens a good opportunity. Things are happening fast. By the way, just recently, they were digging a core in a glacier in the Tibetan region on the China side. And they removed from that glacier in that remote region of China a sample that contained 33 different viruses, 28 of those viruses, 20, 20, 20, 28 of those 33 viruses had never been seen by the eyes of men. And I think to myself, don't dig there. With everything that's happening, we don't need that. Things are happening fast. Our fighter pilots are providing the videos of pursuit after, I'll still call them UFOs, whatever Defense Department wants to call them. And in these videos, they lock in on these aerial phenomena, the Defense Department would call them. And as they lock in on whatever they are, and I watched too much science fiction when I was growing up, and when I saw in that video them locking in, I thought to myself, don't do, don't do, don't do that. You say, could they be drones? A few of them. But you need to understand. It's interesting that some years ago, the government tried to convince us there's no secret investigation of UFOs. It's, it's not happening. And of course, we found out later, yes, it was. But now, to reassure the population, they're telling us, to reassure us, yes, we've got an investigation that we're looking into these things. These crafts that are described by the experts of having no sign of 
uh, exhaust, uh, no, no wings, no, 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 no means of propulsion, defying laws of physics. Not only traveling at such incredible speeds, but literally uh, traversing from sky to water and to sky again as though the medium in which they traveled made no effect on the craft. They don't seem to abide by any laws of physics. No, they're not little green men from some other planet. But I'll tell you this. Every year, there are movie producers that receive their awards for their accomplishments, and one of the categories is special effects. My friend, nobody can do special effects like the devil can do special effects. You say, preacher, what is it? I'll tell you what it is. It's the devil getting his excuse ready for the rapture. It's going to take an out-of-this-world explanation to explain what happened. That's what I think. By the way, you may not think that Jesus is coming again soon, but the devil does. In Daniel's day, he thinks to himself, we're not going to be here much longer. Seventy years of captivity have almost come to their end. But before the conversation is over, the angel's talking about the 70 weeks of prophecy. And I tell you, dear friend, I have this feeling that is somewhat akin to his own. We're not going to be here much longer. And as I search the books, not only the book of Daniel, but one book after another in the New Testament to the book of Revelation, my heart is stirred. Marvelous message we bring, glorious carol we sing, wonderful word of the King, Jesus is coming again. Would you notice first, confession. Daniel gripped by the realization that the days are quickly speeding by, understanding and he wasn't going to be there much longer. I hear how he prays. And he says in verse 5, We have sinned and have committed iniquity and have done wickedly. I remind you again that he doesn't merely say they have sinned. He said we have sinned. Verse 20 Whilst I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel. My sin as well as their sin. My friend, there was a day when the godliest of men in Babylon was a very young man who in his youth he purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. And now as the years have sped by and he realizes we're about to leave, he's confessing his sin. 
Not that you would have any desire to listen to the confessions of another. There are some carnal Christians that would perhaps think to themselves, Brother Gilmore walked so close to the Lord to hear his confessions would be rather boring. I'd much rather hear William Jeffcoat make his confessions. You know, you think to yourself, what confessions does a man who walks close to the Lord? John Wesley had hoped that John Fletcher would be the man who would take the mantle after him. John Wesley said of John Fletcher, he said, there is not a more holy man alive. And no doubt, he would have been the one who followed if he hadn't died first. They say of John Fletcher that he could at times be heard crying in the night because of his sins, weeping aloud in the presence of God on his face. What terrible sins were they? He was troubled by his temper. I know many in our day who boast of their temper. <laughs> they speak of it as if it were some virtue. My friend, there was a day when godly men wept over those things that we consider so trivial. I remember when I pastored that little church in Hampton, South Carolina, how that there was one sister who would make her way down the aisle invitation after invitation after invitation. She'd fall there on the altar and she would weep. Her tears would wet the altar. We would have to extend the invitation again and again and again. And you'd think to yourself, Wonderful to see such great sinners responding to the invitation. My friend, she was one of the godliest saints in the church. I say to you that the godlier among us are quick to feel the prick of conviction and the weight of sin. And how much the more as we see that day approaching. I'm not a date setter, but the Bible tells me I can see the day approaching. And he that hath this hope within himself purifieth himself, even as he is pure. Daniel, he makes confession, not just for there, but for our sin, he prays in that same church in South Carolina. Brother Gilmore, you folks you visited years and years and years ago. There was one man in the church that when I was preaching, if he thought I said something you needed to hear, he'd turn around where he sat and look straight back at you. That's pretty obvious, you know. I was preaching in one church. And I told the people, I said, instead of thinking that what was just said was something good for another to hear, why won't you just go ahead and confess and say, that was for me. The next night, somebody cried out 
from the audience in the middle of the message, that was for me. And then another cried out from the other side and said, that was for me. It was not exactly my intent, but it was refreshing. <laughs> Daniel cries out. I tell you different, those who truly embrace the glorious hope before us, they still purify themselves, even in this day, as truly as when those words were first spoken, and certainly as true as when Daniel saw the days speeding by. I think of confession, but then I think of communion. In verse 17, he prayed and asked that the Lord cause his face to shine again upon the sanctuary that is desolate, looking forward to the day when the temple that had been destroyed would stand once more. We could speak to Daniel and tell him of how the Lord has made the hearts of men to be his temple. In verse 21, he said it was at the time of the evening oblation that the angel came to him, this one named Gabriel. We could say to Daniel, let us tell you something about that evening sacrifice and of the great sacrifice that was offered at Calvary, who as the evening sacrifice was being given, he cried out himself and said, It is finished. I think of how that the angel in verse 23, he touched Daniel and he said, Thou art greatly beloved. That phrase is echoed again and again and again. Thou art greatly beloved. Beloved. My friend, he, we, are only just beginning to realize how much he loves us. He calls his church the bride. And soon he's coming for us. Oh, please give me a little latitude and let me tell you again about my courtship days. Besides, there's a young man that's about to get married. And so just let me tell it again. I'm just going to talk with him. Y'all can listen if you want to. Our first official date took my wife to this really snazzing Mexican restaurant. If I knew how much she liked Mexican food and that Taco Bell would have done, I could have gotten by a whole lot cheaper. <laughs> Walking into the restaurant, we passed this rascal of a fella that was always up to mischief. He had a mocking grin on his face. It was only after I went back out and approached the car, my date and I, and being in Bible college, our chaperone, 
standing close by. That rascal had written all over my car, just married. First official date. It was a hatchback car. He even wrote the word chaperone and the arrow pointing to where she sat in the car. I thought to myself, I'll never survive this. Drove to the gas station. Went inside to get some towels and water. And as I'm dashing, I pass this elderly lady who's pumping gas into her car. She looks back at my car and she says, that is so sweet. I said, ma'am, I said, you don't understand. I said, this is all a big mistake. She said, young man, this is nothing for you to be ashamed of. I said, never mind. I cleaned the car as best I could, went back to the Bible college. Days of sweet wooing followed. And then I had the perfect plan. I, it, it, it was... Such an atmosphere, such an approach, I felt, how could she say no? I was going to take her down to St. Augustine, Florida. And we were going to stroll that golden strand while the waves gently washed upon our bare feet. And the breeze played in the hair of my beloved. And the seagulls serenaded her overhead. <laughs> and our chaperone followed us closely behind. And I was going to ask her, and I thought to myself, there's no way she'll be able to say no. It was the night before that big day. The night before. We're sitting outside the main administration building of the college, there on the curb we are sitting. Sitting there on the curb, overlooking the oil-stained parking lot filled by the broken-down jalopies of college students. And my... My bride-to-be, now my wife of many wonderful years, that night, day before the big day, she looked at me and she said, you said you had something to talk with me about tomorrow. I said, yes, I do. I said, I said tomorrow. She said, where I'm from, you don't wait until tomorrow to talk about important things. I said, it needs to wait until tomorrow. And she said to me, she said, if it's that important, it I said, all right. I said, sitting there on the curb, overlooking the oil-stained parking lot filled with broken-down jalopies of college students. I looked at her and I said, Will you marry me? She wasn't expecting that. And then the curfew bell rang. I don't recall that she actually officially that moment answered. The curfew bell rings. You can't get more romantic than this. She goes one direction, I go the other direction. 
But she was working part-time in the office as a receptionist and immediately went to the office, dialed the school-wide intercom system, and she said, by the way, the girls used to taunt her in the dorm and ask, when is he going to propose? And she said, when William Jeffcoat proposes, everybody's going to know. She dialed the school-wide intercom system and she said, by the way, I didn't hear the announcement. I was walking to the other end of the campus and I, I passed these smarty college students, these guys who looked at me and said, congratulations. <laughs> I thought, well, wait, 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 she went that way and I went that way and there is no way that I found out later. She dialed the school-wide intercom system and she said, William Jeffcoat has just proposed to Samantha Robinette and she most gladly accepts. <laughs> I tell you, as the days of wooing follow, the relationship continues. The wedding day is at hand. I'll tell you this, my friend, our love ought only grow. By the way, when John saw the new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven, the angel said to him, Come and I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. He saw the new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven, and the angel said, Come, I'll show you the bride, the lamb's wife. My friend, it stirs my soul to even contemplate the thought that is so far beyond my grasp. He will be heaven to me. But my friend, we will be heaven to him. We are only just beginning to realize how much he loves us. And all the more ought we find ourselves, all the more loving him. Soon the groom will come for his bride and things are happening fast. I notice confession and communion. I notice consecration. Consecration. What we will do, we must do now. It was Fanny Crosby who wrote, Consecrate me now to thy service, Lord, by the power of grace divine. Let my soul look up with a steadfast hope, and my will be lost in thine. The last time I heard that great preacher who's now with the Lord, last time I heard Harold Seitler preach, 
The one phrase of the message that has echoed ever since then in my thoughts, he said with a gravelly voice, I want to be in the field when the sun goes down. It may be the setting sun of the years you call life. It may be the setting sun of this church age. But the days are passing fast. And what we will do, we must do now. There's actually one of the government experts who was talking about all these sightings, the, the, the UFOs and the information that has been divulged now to the, to the populace things that even the government is acknowledging it's probably not, but we cannot say that it's not. I'm just telling you, things are happening fast. And he said, after these comments have been made, are they aliens? Whatever threat it might be, I tell you, dear friend, the devil's getting his excuse ready. And whether you think that Jesus is coming again soon, the devil does. That government expert said this. He said, you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. He said, we find ourselves in a place now he said, there's no going back. Things are happening fast. These words were spoken to Daniel in chapter 12 and verse number 3. And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. Daniel so much longed to understand the prophecy given to him. And the Lord said, these things are sealed. Sealed for a later day, not to be disclosed in your day. But even when Jesus walked among men, he said to his disciples, pointing to the words of Daniel, he said, he that reads, let him understand the disciples were able to understand a whole lot that Daniel couldn't figure out himself. May I say to you that there are children in our Sunday schools that know more about prophecy than Daniel himself did. Daniel, realizing that the days had quickly sped by Soon they were going to be leaving. The Lord said, these things are not given to you to understand. But this know. They that turn many to righteousness shall shine for the star, like the stars for, forever and ever. 
The Lord said that to him before Jesus ever said to his disciples, follow me and I'll make you to become fishers of men. The Lord said that to him, to the voice of the angel, before the great commission was ever given to the church. Before those wonderful verses were entrusted to us that we affectionately call the Romans road that so clearly shows a person how to come to Christ, realizing their need and the price that Jesus paid. Even in Daniel's day, the Lord said, be concerned about this. They that turn many to righteousness shall shine as the stars forever and ever. I look forward to that day when we hear him say, well done. That day when we receive the crown, crowns to cast at his feet. But after that moment is passed, the Bible says, they that turn many to righteousness shall shine as the stars forever and ever. Daniel seeing the days pass so quickly, seeing the events fall one upon the other, he thinks of the Babylonian captivity, another kingdom's in power, the days have gone by, and the conversation doesn't come to its conclusion. But what the angel is speaking about, the 70 weeks of prophecy that prophetic calendar entrusted to us. And what Daniel could not understand, we are seeing more and more clearly. My friend, if there was such a stirring in his heart, how much more ought there be a stirring in our heart to realize that what we will do, we must do. Now, do you really believe he's coming soon? The devil believes it more truly than many of us do. Would you stand together with me, please? Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. In just a moment, the pianist will begin to play softly. I think of his confession. Things were happening so quickly. Daniel longed to understand so much more than what he did. But he was stirred to confession not only for the sins of a wicked nation. He said, my sins. There are no doubt some who need to come tonight and just say, dear Lord. As we heard in the previous message, reminded in this message, help me to be more sensitive to your conviction over my sin. He that hath this hope within himself purifieth himself even as he is pure. I think of communion. 
we're only just beginning to realize how much He loves us. Oh, that we might be among those who love the promise of His coming, who love the one who is coming. Consecration. As the pianist plays softly, some are coming. Why don't you come? Why don't you come? That's it. I'm not a date setter. I just say to you, things are happening fast. What if he comes tomorrow? What if he waits a hundred years? Confession. Communion. Consecration. Things are happening fast. You could, you could have answered so many questions. that teased the heart of Daniel. But what he knew was enough to stir his soul. How much more ought it be true for us? While heads are bowed and eyes are closed, maybe there's somebody who would say, Preacher, I'm not sure that I'm going to heaven. Please pray for me. I'm not ready for that moment. I'm not ready to face another day without the Lord. Preacher, I'm definitely not ready for eternity. I'm not sure that heaven is my home. While the heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I'm the only one looking around, perhaps the preacher. Is there somebody who'd lift their hand? You'd say, that's me. Pray for me. Pray for me. Dear Lord, as Daniel found himself watching the days speed by so quickly, the empires of men changing before his eyes, realizing that in regards to the Babylonian captivity, they weren't going to be there much longer. But thinking of how the angel takes the truth to a higher plane. Truth that captivates our attention. As we think of that prophetic calendar and where we find ourselves. We say as Daniel did, things are happening fast. Not going to be here much longer. Oh Lord. Please stir your people in this hour.